0: You're listening to a podcast from Vineyard Church of Augusta. For more information, visit vineyardaugusta.org. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you this morning. I am ready to preach the sermon because it has been rattling my cage for a few, <laughs> few weeks now. So I'm going to share, share all that with you and spread the rattling around a little bit. Um, <clears throat> according to the church calendar, right, we are in the season of Eastertide, tide. Has anybody ever heard about that before? Eastertide is the 50 days that fall in between Easter Sunday and Pentecost. Now, I wasn't raised in a context where we observed the church or the liturgical calendar, so this is kind of all new to me. But what I love about it is it takes these one-day holidays and it turns them into a season. And these events are worthy of that, right? Like to observe... The resurrection of our Lord as a whole season really gives us time to kind of settle into that and figure out what it means. What does resurrection mean for our faith? What does resurrection mean in our lives today? In what ways is God bringing resurrection to our lives and experience? 50 days gives us time to kind of make marinade in there. And so I'm glad for these seasons versus days. And so here at Vineyard Church of Augusta, we're using this season of Eastertide to talk about living hope. And that's giving us a chance to look at hope from a number of different perspectives and really lean into what does it mean that we have a living hope and what does it mean to live hopefully. And so this morning, I'm going to continue in that vein of thought and we're going to focus on a couple of verses in Hebrews chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you might want to turn there uh, because we're headed there pretty quickly. If you don't or you just prefer it, uh, they'll be on the screen here. But in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, the writer uses the symbol of an anchor to help us understand a couple of really important things about what hope is and what we do with it. So let me read them to you. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this space, just this physical space this morning that has been set aside for your worship. And we thank you that you are here and you are circling amongst us. You are looking for hearts that are open. Lord, we ask that you would help us to have open hearts. We didn't come this morning just to check off a box, just to gather some more information, just to hear words. We came to have an experience with the living Lord and to be changed by it. So, people of God, if if what I just said matches your intention, would you give that an amen? Amen, amen Lord. Hear your people. So, maybe it would be helpful this morning to start by touching again on what hope is, because I think sometimes we get a little fuzzy about how faith and hope are different, at least I do. So, here are a couple of definitions or ways of thinking about them that help keep them separate in my mind. Faith has to do with trust. When we have faith, we are trusting in someone or something. Having faith, means that we trust God's promises to be true, mostly because we trust Him to be true. Hope is confident waiting. So hope allows us to wait confidently for God to keep his promises. Hope is what helps us wait until what we know to be true is evidenced to be true in our circumstances or in our reality. I thought of an example that I think all of the teachers and the students in the room and online and in the cafe are going to really like. The last day of the school year is coming up really quickly. See? I knew it. I knew it. In Columbia County, it is Friday, May the 21st, and that date is written on my calendar to mark the day that my home turns into a frat house, okay? (laughs) I have three boys, and it's going to be loud and messy for a couple of months, and I've learned it's better just to settle in and embrace it. And teachers and students can have faith that that is the date school will end. May 21st, you can have faith in that. It's on the calendar. The county keeps the calendar. But just that doesn't explain the excitement we have about the end of the school year coming. That's hope. Hope counts down days. And hope plans an end-of-the-year party, and hope envisions what the first day of summer is actually going to look like. That is hope at work. Can you sense the difference that I'm talking about there? Faith gets us there, but hope makes it a much more full, rich experience as we travel to there. And after sitting with this for a while over the last couple of weeks, I started to wonder if that's what hope is. Maybe some of us are operating with a deficit of hope. Maybe some of us are going through the motions of faithful living. We are doing the thing, but without the benefit that hope brings without that peace that brings us this life abundant that's talked so much about. I want to take you a little bit behind the scenes of how it looked as I prepared to speak this morning. It was a little ugly. Like everyone who is going to speak or teach, I have a process. I study, I marinate, I pray, I don't think this is all that unique or special, and then I start to write. I'm a writer, so I usually write a first draft, and then pretty early on, I read it to my husband, Chris. He um, has a theology degree, he has a great mind, he really kind of offers some great feedback and support, and um, he's sort of my little test group, right? So this time, I started my process. I knew what to do, I studied, I marinated, I prayed but it just wasn't coming. Like, I just couldn't get it there. And so I made an outline. That's helpful, right? Well, I couldn't get the outline right, so I just kept messing around with the outline, and then eventually I just had to start writing because, like, Sunday is coming. Um, and so I wrote and wrote, and I wrote something, and I was like, I don't think this is all that great. So I said to Chris, I've got a little bit of something. Can I read it to you and see what you think? But I don't think it's very good. So one night this week after dinner, we went up to my home office, and I sat in my desk chair, and he sat in the kind of cozy overstuffed chair in the corner, and I started to read what I had. And I read, and I read, and I got about halfway through, and I looked over, and his eyes were closed. (laughs) He's praying, Yeah. So really, I thought, well, that's not all that unusual, because we have a really noisy house, as I mentioned, and so sometimes you have to really close your eyes to concentrate. So I thought, oh, look at that. He's really concentrating. (laughs) So I read some more. And then I heard snoring. (laughs) And at first, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I really did. I thought it was our dog who was sitting on his lap. So I quietly just sort of said his name, I said, Chris? Chris. Yep, he was asleep, out, out asleep. I put him to sleep with my sermon, y'all. Him and two dogs. And so while he napped, I started over, and I wrote a whole nother sermon. And it was late by that point, and I was like, "Well, I don't even know that this is a whole bunch better than the one that put him to sleep. And so I'm kind of winding down, and in the quiet of my sleeping house, I heard, you struggle to hope. I paused. And then I heard, you are having a hard time communicating about hope because you struggle to hope. So I called it a night and went to bed. (laughs) And I woke up the next morning, and I was minding my own business, just doing what I do, and I was making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a kid's lunch, and I heard, tell them you struggle to hope. wait a minute, you want me to begin a sermon on hope by announcing that I struggle to hope? Yep, that's how you know it's God's voice when you wouldn't do it in a million years. So here I am telling you that I struggle to hope. And as I thought about it in the context of my story this week, it really does make a lot of sense. I was disappointed by adults at a really early age. I wasn't protected. I was wounded by people who should have known better, should have done better. It's like I was programmed to not hope for things. Not things like trips to Disney World, like things that I should have been able to count on. And God is healing me. I mean, God is healing me. He's going to continue to heal me. I am comforted by that. But I didn't even realize it until this week. But life had tried to snip the wires in my soul that are connected to hope. But here's the good news. When God shines a light like that on a place, it means he's ready and I'm ready for work to begin. So I have great faith, hope, Trust that he is going to heal me in that area, and that's a good thing, because while I've been wrestling with hope, I've realized that hope is essential, y'all. It's not an add-on bonus. It's something, I think it's something that we're tempted to think is just a luxury, or it's for super Christians or something, or that it's a soft emotion. But in reality, hope is a very powerful force drives us. God gives it to us as a gift. It is a gift for the believer as they live the life of faith. Without it, our life is just a march towards eternity. And with it, our life is full and abundant. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul boils down the essentials of the Christian life to faith, hope, and love, the big three, right? And what is he telling us by putting those three together? He's saying it's essential, which means you can't do the Christian life without hope. And he's also saying it's right up there with faith and love, the other biggies. It's not the frosting on the cake for those who are just sort of naturally predisposed to hopefulness. It's mixed into the cake batter. We're not supposed to be able to separate it out. But here's more good news. Because if God says that we need it, then he will give it to us. He gives us everything we need, like faith and like love, Hope is a gift, it's a grace. When we ask for it, he gives it. We don't have to work it up from within. Have you ever tried to work up hope? It's hard and it's flimsy. We don't have to manufacture it within ourselves. We can ask for it and he will give it to us. In fact, I really believe that God is always offering to us the things that we need. And if we don't receive it, The problem is on our end. Ask for it, and he will give it to you. We don't have the option of putting hope in a bonus category for super-Christians or naive Christians who just haven't learned yet to lower their expectations. We are all called to hope. Now, it's been a minute, so I want to take us back to that scripture in Hebrews chapter 6. Let me read it again. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. I'm a visual learner, so it really helps me that the Bible uses a lot of this figurative language. Does it help you too? And what I'm noticing is how timeless some of these images are, right? Think about it. We still plant with seeds. We still know what it's like to care for animals. Potters still use clay. We bake with yeast. It's almost as if God knew these pictures would need to last thousands of years. He's pretty smart that way. And here in Hebrews, the scripture offers us another image. Hope is like an anchor. And here's the thing, the basic design and function of anchors has not changed that much since the Bible was written. It's pretty simple. You grab something heavy, you tie a rope around it, and you toss it overboard. So when the writer of Hebrews mentions an anchor here, we all get an instant picture in our mind, right? It almost immediately starts to talk to us at a deeper level. In fact, I was reading the anchor entry on Wikipedia, and it was reading to me like a devotional. Listen to this. An anchor prevents drifting due to wind or current. That preaches, right? Without an anchor, a craft will drift in whatever direction the current is going. Anchors allow a boater to stop rowing or park the boat. Anchors can be used as an emergency brake to keep from crashing into other vessels or obstacles. For a moment, as I was struggling to put this together, I wondered if God maybe just wanted me to stand up and read from Wikipedia. (laughs) And here's another thing that makes the anchor a great symbol for hope. It's not enough to be convinced that an anchor is a good idea. It's not enough to go to the store and buy an anchor. It's not even enough to put an anchor in your boat. You have got to be connected to the anchor before it is of any use at all. It would be ridiculous to toss an anchor overboard that was not connected to the boat. The anchor would do what it was supposed to do, wouldn't it? It would sink to the bottom and it would stay there. Problem's not with the anchor, problem is with the connection. We have to be connected. And this is a really important part. The writer of Hebrews wants us to know that we aren't just making a connection to some sort of universe or unspecified force of goodness. If you start at Hebrews chapter one and start reading, all of those chapters leading up to this part talk about Jesus, lays out this beautiful case for Jesus being Lord. Jesus is the one who is our faith, who is our hope. Jesus is the anchor we're talking about. But just to believe that Jesus is Lord is like buying an anchor and putting it in your boat. It's not enough. We have to remember that for the anchor to work, we have to be connected to it. And we are connected to Jesus through intimate relationship. That's how anchoring hope comes to be. What is your connection like to Jesus? And remember, connection is not information about Jesus connection is relationship to him. And I don't want to talk in a mysterious way. We don't have a secret club here or a secret code. I'm talking about relationships, like how you build relationships. Like, think about all the people in your life that you are connected to. A connection like that. Like, you can anticipate what they're thinking after a while, right? and you know the sound of their voice, and you look forward to being with them, and they comfort you. They know how to comfort you because they know you. We can be connected to Jesus in those ways. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's what he does, and it works both ways. He wants to be connected to us too, And that connection is formed when we do the things that foster connection. Again, think about how you formed a relationship with your best friend. Over time, you listened, and you talked, and you shared openly about your thoughts and your feelings, and you walked through memories with them. You asked questions. You answered theirs. You opened your heart up to that process. If you are struggling with hope or anything else that's promised to the believer, check your connection. It might be that you are standing in a boat with a great anchor and no rope tied to it. And we, as your church family, we want to help you form that connection. That is why we are here. It would do no good for me to stand up here and say, be connected, be connected. No, we love, y'all, we sit in staff meetings and talk about this. How do we help people be connected to Jesus? Let us help you. And sometimes the first step is we need to disconnect ourselves from other anchors that we've been using. Humans crave that anchored feeling. It's how we were made. And we grab onto all sorts of things to provide a sense of security. You know the list. We use our wealth, our education, our ability to plan our life out, our family, our health. We use all sorts of things. But those anchors will fail you they will fail. At some point, your boat will get too big, the water will get too deep, the winds will get too strong, and those inferior anchors, they will fail you. What are you using as an anchor? Anything less than a living hope in Jesus Christ will fail you. And if it's been a while since you've checked your connection, that might be worth some time this week. Just sit with that image. It's not a one-time tie a rope on and leave it, right? Boaters know ropes get old, they rot, they deteriorate, they get weak. Check your connection to your rope. See what God might want you to notice about that connection. It's important. Because when that connection is strong, we can confidently throw that anchor overboard and we can trust it to hold us in place even when we can no longer see the anchor working. Look at that again in the second part of these verses we've been working on. The anchor, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. This is a reference to the temple in the Old Testament, and it was designed around this deep place called the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could enter. And he went in there to do his work on behalf of the people. And it was separated from the rest of the public areas by a physical curtain. And so the people had to stand on the outside, and they had to trust that what was happening between God and the high priest was sufficient for them to cover their sin. They just had to trust. And the writer of Hebrews says that when we lower our anchor of hope in Jesus, we lose sight of it, just like you lose sight of an anchor when it leaves the boat and hits the water. That anchor, our anchor of hope, enters into the sanctuary where the ultimate high priest, Jesus, is at work. And I hear two things. The first, we don't always get to see what God is doing. Maybe we don't rarely get to see what God is doing, right? Which leads to that why question. Don't we ask that why question all the time? I know I have. I've gone through seasons where I'm like, God, listen, I swear it, if you would just tell me why, I would do so much better here. (laughs) Why is the question we deal with the most because it drives us bananas to not know what's going on behind the curtain. But this image of the anchor helps us, doesn't it? Boaters learn to trust their anchor. They learn, I watched videos, they learn how to expertly drop and lodge that anchor deep in the water, and then they trust it. Only in the most shallow, clear water can you see an anchor at work but who wants to stay there? We want to go into the deep places where the fun happens. That's where the exciting, interesting things are. The same is true for our life of faith. The good stuff happens in the deep places, the places where we can't see the bottom, the places where God is teaching us to stay in that tension of mystery and just Trust that he is working even though it makes no sense to us and we couldn't in a million years figure out what the plan is. Don't get nervous in that place. Don't get nervous, pull up your anchor and head back to shore. Hope says we can stay out there and trust that good things are happening in those deep places. And the second thing I hear is that we need to be willing to move our anchoring spot off of what we want onto what God wants. Here's a tough question one writer asked, are we hoping or merely wishing? Wishing focuses on what we want. Hope is anchored on what God is doing. Listen to what one commentator wrote. I love this. The wings of hope were given, not that we might flutter near the earth, but that we might rise to God. Do not let yourself be so absorbed by anticipations of what you are going to do and where you are going to be tomorrow that you have no space to think of what you are going to do and where you are going to be through eternity. He's saying, look up, look up, hope further, hope deeper. Wishes just flutter near the earth. Isn't that language beautiful? Wishes just flutter around close to the surface. Wishes just want things. Hope connects us to Jesus, who he is and what he is doing. What would it look like for us to hope further? to hope deeper, to release our anchor beneath the waterline into the Holy of Holies, where God dwells and works on our behalf. Then we will have an anchored soul. And what does an anchored soul look like? It looks like Jesus. And as we've been coming through this season of Lent and through Holy Week and now into Eastertide, we've been watching him, haven't we? We've been hearing the stories again and watching how he walks through those difficult seasons. He's gone from deprivation and temptation in the desert into full on suffering and abandonment. Man, the winds have blown around his boat. The current has been pulling, pulling, pulling. And he wasn't numb or immune to any of that. Jesus wasn't a robot. He doesn't expect us to be robots, right? We watched Jesus ask questions. And we heard his father reassure him and we saw him being comforted at different parts by angels. But his anchor held his father had told him that he would be raised to life and seated at his right hand. And he trusted the truth of that, and he confidently waited for that to be the reality. And hope was what fueled that. And then we can contrast that with Peter, right? Oh, poor Peter, his little poor unanchored soul unanchored until the Spirit came to rest on him at Pentecost, right? See, Jesus had shared with Peter the plan, too. Peter had heard Jesus say, I'm going to die, I'm going to be raised to life, I'm going to be seated at the Father's right hand, but Peter could not wait confidently. And when the winds picked up around Peter, Man, he started to swing around, didn't he? He swung from violence to deceit to despair. He was all over the place. An unanchored soul. An anchored soul faces challenges without having to rethink the whole plan. An anchored soul waits gracefully, An anchored soul doesn't panic when God presents a plan without a briefing manual. An anchored soul holds steady. Will you stand with me? And I'd love for the prayer ministers to kind of come at this point and get into place, because I want you to see them standing ready to pray and talk with you as we go through this last part. Prayer ministers, will you come? To hope for something can feel very vulnerable. We all know what it feels like to be disappointed. And maybe like me, you've cut some of the wires that connect your soul to hope. Here's the question. Are you willing to let God reconnect them? Maybe that has something to do with this open hand image. Maybe God is reaching to you and saying, Will you let me reconnect these wires? To hope is not a sign of weakness, it is a courageous choice. And so now we get to respond. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're hearing for the first time that God offers to be your anchor, and maybe you are hearing that as good news. Boy, we'd love to tell you more about what that means and how to form a connection to that anchor. Maybe you're sensing something about your connection to the anchor needing some attention, Maybe you sense that you might be connected to a different anchor and that needs to be released. Or maybe it's been a while since you've looked at your connection and something needs to happen there. Or maybe you're in a season where God is inviting you into deeper waters and, boy, that is disorienting. That first time that anchor slips down and you're like, I hope it holds. We would love to pray for you and bless that season of life that you're in. Community is a great gift when we are struggling to hope. That is a big reason why he gathers us together regularly, because sometimes we need the community to hold us while we struggle to hope. Let us be hope for you. Come and let someone pray for you. I'm going to. I'm going to this morning. I am going to go and let someone pray for me. Because that's the other thing that God said while I was making sandwiches. No joke. He said, tell them that you struggle to hope and then go have someone pray for you. So it might be a little weird that I'm going to respond to my own sermon, but apparently that's who I am these days. I want to receive the grace of hope. And this feels like a great place to start that journey. Will you come too? Will you come and let someone minister to your soul?